Welcome everyone to the third episode of the We Belong Here podcast. I have three guests here today. I'm really excited to uh, have them introduce themselves in a second. But we are uh, here in Washington State. We are in the greater Seattle region. We are on uh, Duwamish Coast Salish people's land. And uh, this podcast is really about trying to bring people from different sectors, backgrounds, lived experiences to talk, to get to know each other, to tell stories with each other and then to hopefully share some projects or ideas that they're working on for support and mutual aid. Today, we actually have a really interesting uh, cross-section generationally uh, from different decades. Uh, so uh, I am the host, Frank Nam, um, with Civic Commons, and I am in my 40s. We have a guest in her 30s. We have a guest in her 60s. And we have a guest in her 80s. So this is kind of a really great intergenerational uh, mix of people. And so I'm really excited to uh, start this podcast and hear their stories and have them get to know each other. And so starting with KT, why don't you uh, give a quick introduction about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Frank. I'm so excited to be with you all. I'm Katie McBratney. I am a storyteller, a founder of a startup and a marketer by trade um, who has been living in the Seattle area for about two and a half years by way of Los Angeles. Wonderful. Uh, let's go with Karen. Thanks. I have lived in Seattle forever since uh, 1968, and I just retired last year from the city of Seattle. I worked for the city for a little over 25 years in the Department of Neighborhoods. I had the best job in the world, period. Nice. I had the pleasure of uh, working with Karen at the Department of Neighborhoods for two years, which is a minuscule slice of her 25-year career there. Okay, how about Anne? Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Anne Stadler, and uh, I've actually lived here since 1956, and I'm in my 90th year, actually. Mm. Uh, when you get to be 89, which I am, that means you've already lived 90, you're starting your 90th year. Right, right. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. I mean, I never dreamed this would happen, actually. <laughs> uh, I have a, a love affair with Jim Deers uh, and the Department of Neighborhoods that he created and you all created. I've been very actively involved. The one thing probably that connects me to Civic Commons is doing is that I was one of the founders of a commons here in Lake Forest Park where I live. It's been going for 20 years, a community commons. <laughs> I want all of us to answer a question uh, that I want to pose to you. And I think it's really relevant in this uh, time that we're living in. And the question is twofold. How do you like to care for others? And I think this is our uh, normal response. We think about how we can care for others. But sometimes the harder question is the second one, which is, how do you like being cared for? And so how do you like to take care of others and how do you like being cared for? Wow. How do I like to care for others? I like to connect with them and listen to what it is that is juicy for them and then participate in, if it's juicy for me too, and I can be helpful, uh, to how would I, do I like to be cared for? I'd like to be noticed and, uh, accounted for in terms of my um, gifts and capacities to make a contribution, uh, accounted for meaning 
that you know people tell me the truth. This is useful. This is not useful. Hmm. Uh, come on over and join this. I think that's how I like to be cared for. I certainly like to be involved in people's lives and have them involved in my life. Hmm. Karen, how about yourself? Um, I like to care for others by cooking for them and <laughs> having people over for dinner, you know, making meals, but it's a little difficult now. I also like to sort of like be creative, you know, for the last couple of months, I've kind of been obsessed with making homemade cards and like using photographs of people and, and then incorporating that into a card or something and sending it to them and saying, wow, look at you. You used to be so young. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like to be cared for by getting invitations to play games because I'm, I, I love playing games. And so I love it when people say, hey, you want to come and do this? I like to be cared for by having people who are willing to do what I say. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I can totally, having uh, worked with you, I can totally see both those. I've seen both of those things in action. The the feeding of people and the, hey, can you do this for me? uh, Thing that you've done with neighborhoods and uh, neighborhood contacts for so long. Um, KT, how about yourself? I like to care for others by holding space for them and listening and telling them that it's okay or, or showing them, telling or showing them that it's okay to feel how they're feeling. So I think really just by like allowing people to be in their feelings and acknowledging that like everything is valid. Like if you're really angry right now, that's okay. If you really need a hug right now, that's okay. And just, just being a vessel for them to let it out. Mm. Um, I also like to just like Karen, I like to care for others with food. And oftentimes that'll, that'll manifest itself in just, you know, small things. Like, uh, the other day I picked up a big old cinnamon roll from Seawolf in my neighborhood and dropped it on the doorstep of my, uh, my business partner as a surprise, just as a treat as she's going through, you know, the chaos of the days. Um, so just those small gestures that, that show someone that you see them. And then honestly, those are the ways I like to be cared for. Sometimes being the one that is a vessel for everyone else's feelings or being the shoulder, it can happen that people don't think that you need that as well. Um, so it's really, it's really helps me to be cared for when people give me a break from caring for others. Mm. And also through food. I really like to be cared for in the form of bread and carbs. And it's very specific. You know, I'm a fan of a pastry. I'll quickly answer this question myself. Uh, So how I like to care for others is probably mentoring or coaching. Like I love to like help people either try to remove the obstacles in their paths, if I can support them or connect them to other resources, other people in my 47 years, uh, whatever I've learned, if I can pass on, I would love, I like doing that. I think there's a great way to care for people. How I like to be cared for, definitely feed me. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I think I'm in, I'm in good company here. I don't need like validation or uh, public comments about like, oh, you're doing great. Like, but more about like, if I genuinely feel supported by people or cared. Like, I had two friends in the same day drop off. One drop friend dropped off cookies to my door, and then another friend, uh, I had painted this uh, thing. I'm like trying to use my creative side and. 
she I sent her a copy because she wanted to have one to print, which is really like nice of her to say. But then she made two frames and she sent me, she brought me a copy of my own painting that I did online and like framed it and brought it over. Cool. It was so cool. Right. Mm. And, she, and so like, yeah. So like acts of service is definitely one of my love languages. Mm. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for uh, going around the horn and ask, uh, answering that question. What's next is I would love to hear you all, you know, one of the hypotheses of this podcast is that we create much stronger connections. And when we tell our own stories and we can connect through stories and so what I'm going to ask you all to do, um, you've done your quick intro, but tell us your story. Like, how do you, how, how, how did you get to where you are now? Um, what life-changing moments happened as, long, as much as you want to share and be vulnerable? You know, obviously you can share as much or as little, but anything you think is valid or interesting, like, you know, please let us know. But yeah, just tell us your story. I'm a... Uh... Sansei, third generation Japanese American, uh, and I grew up in um, Eastern Washington in the Tri Cities, which is a strange place to grow up as a Japanese American, only because there were, oh, I don't know, in in Richland, in uh, my hometown, there were probably about. Um, less than 1% uh, people of color, highly um, educated community. So at least uh, academically highly educated community. So really um, interesting for the longest time, I thought that um, Japanese people all lived in California because that's where all my cousins and aunts and uncles were. We rarely came over to Seattle, and but there were a million Japanese-American people in California. It was like, wow. When I left Richland and came to Seattle to go to school at the University of Washington, it was like wonderful transition, you know, to leave this small town and come into this 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 great place with all of, even even though Seattle's not as diverse as, as, as I'd like it to be, but it certainly is, you know, a hundred times more diverse than, than Richland was. And I worked for an, an agency that, uh, for Neighborhood House, an organization that works in, uh, used to work in low-income housing projects, which have all transitioned to sort of different kinds of communities. And I think that that really shaped my, my view of the, of the world and, and sort of my definition of community, because there were... Although people were, you know, all poor in the, in the housing projects, they they were fascinating and they were all different, and it was just a great um, exposure to all different kinds of, of people. Um, particularly since when I when I started working there, it was not too long afterward that Seattle really opened up its doors to the Southeast Asian refugee community you know, good for Washington. And there were huge numbers of Vietnamese, Cambodian, Lao refugee families who were moving into the housing projects. And that was a revelation. And then I got to work in, in, uh, in an early childhood education center. And that was amazing. It was just a, such a, such a phenomenal place to, to be with, you know, these little kids. I'd never worked with very young children and they they, 
they they were pretty cool. The my my favorite really quick story here, Frank. And you have to just like cut me off because you know I'm just gonna probably <laughs> talk way too long. But in the at the Denise Lowe Education Center where I was working, where I'm, I was actually the director. One day, the turtle in in one of the childcare rooms, the turtle died, and and the teachers came and told me, you need to come in and talk to the kids about the turtle. And so I said, sure, and went in and, and talked about how great it had been to have this turtle and how we needed to send the turtle on its next journey. So we took the turtle over to what is now the uh, Donnie Chin Children's Park and, and buried the turtle there. And I, I asked the kids to to sing a song. I said, you know, it's, it would be really nice if we could all just like sing a song to the turtle. And, you know, to a kid, they broke into this wonderful rendition of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle song, which was (laughs) (laughs) new to me. (laughs) Perfect. So, um, so, you know, sort of wrapping it up, I think the really fabulous thing about the Department of Neighborhoods and about the work that that we all do is that, you know, you get to know these neighborhoods. You get to know all of these different neighborhoods. There's so many neighborhoods. I came to appreciate all of them and appreciate all of the people in those neighborhoods, you know, even though I would just disagree with many of them often, but I came to respect their opinion and their uh, passion uh, for mm-hmm. their for their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Karen, I would never put you in the spot to be like, "Hey, rank your favorite neighborhoods and your worst neighborhoods." I would get you in a lot of trouble, so I won't do that to you. But um, I know that the the ID uh, has a huge uh, place in your heart. Um, and I know that you have supported and, and worked with a lot of different uh, restaurant owners and vendors and, and residents. If you can say, you know, especially it's a, you know, it's May, it's the Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Karen, is there a favorite spot of yours in the ID? It doesn't mean that you don't love all of them, but, you know, a, <laughs> you know I'm trying to set you up here. <laughs> what, what is your, what is your go-to spot lately? Titan. Yep. I knew and, you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Harry is just the, the owner of Taichung. I mean, he's there all the time. He's there all the time. He's still there all the time. Even now. I mean, we went and got takeout uh, last week or something. Mm-hmm. Harry goes, long time no see. I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> There's this thing going on here. But he he has a heart of gold. And it's so... You know, I think people probably don't know how much Harry gives. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> KT, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. It's hard to it's hard to uh, follow great great Thai food and a dead turtle. Um, <laughs> so Karen, you set the bar high. Uh, yeah, my story actually. I be, I grew up in the Midwest, and um, to kind of bucket my story in a theme, I think it'd be. I was always too much. I was always too something. Um, that's always been a thread of, of my life. Too shy, too loud, too assertive, too less than. All of these things. Um, so I grew up and I was a first-gen college student, the only woman in my family to have graduated college. 
and really grew up with this idea of of you know like what a leader looked like and it was what we have been all all been told a leader look like looks like which is like a pretty conservative standard 9 to 5 middle-aged white man and that never sat well with me and I've always kind of been rebelling against that and it's what I wanted to do first was to be an author and also though coming from working class family knowing that you need to get a paycheck so um, I incorporated my love of writing and storytelling and people into a career in marketing and that's what's taken me from Kansas City and Omaha Nebraska to LA and then up to Seattle and I found what I really love is just telling stories and helping people tell their own stories. Um, so I don't even say like, oh, I'm in marketing, like I'm in storytelling. And my my life's work is really around getting people to tell their own stories and not feel like they're too anything. You're not too shy. You're not too girly. You're not too butch. You're not, no, you're just you and that's enough and that's powerful. And yeah, and I'm doing that. And that's also very much in my work. Now I've moved over to visual arts and I'm a mixed media um, and painter right now above writing. And I am the mom to a toddler who I want to grow up in a world where she is not told that she is Mm. too much or she is not enough. Um, So it's very much a theme of my life that I bring to my community, be that like my workplace, my friends, my family, the broader like Seattle community, my neighborhood community, but also I think even bigger, like the community of the world, especially as we're all doing a lot more virtual connection. I think we've all been doing it to some degree for a while now with social media and email. We've had the means to connect outside of our hyper local world, but I'm really hoping that that idea of enabling other people to really step into their own power fully and to own their story is really what like gets me up in the morning and makes me excited to do pretty much all the things I do. Um, that and a sense of almost like childlike curiosity. Like I just am fascinated by all the things I don't know in the world. And the older I get, I'm in, I'm in my late 30s, the older I get, the more wonderful it is to realize how little I actually do know. The more I learn, the more I know that there's, I know nothing. And um, I'm so excited just, you know, to be on that journey every day. Mm. And with what you said about, you know, as we get older, we realize how much more we don't know. Um, we're going to pivot now to Anne. And Anne is our matriarch here, is now in her 90th year, as you said, Anne. Well, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't think I actually know the full story. I know you moved here in... Uh, pretty for uh, you've been here for more than 50 years 70 years 60 years 56 yeah. I moved here we moved here in 56 yeah, yeah so tell us tell us your story and Karen the first restaurant we went to and have kept going to ever since is Taitung our <laughs> wow. that was our go-to restaurant for celebrations when we first got here Eddie was our waiter and we went back about Oh, God, 10, 15 years ago, and this wonderful man was serving our table, and we asked him, do you know Eddie by any chance? And he looked at us, and he said, I am Eddie. (laughs) 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 You know, our kids were all grown up, and we had gone wherever we'd gone (laughs) as a family. We had not been back in Taichung, but Eddie was still there. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Waiting. So anyhow, so 
I came from Rochester, New York, uh, all the way out here. I had never been past the Mississippi, but I married a guy from Missouri, and um, he got a job at Caltech. So we crossed the entire country. And um, the I came from a, a sort of middle, lower, middle-class family. My father had a job, and uh, he was an uh, electrical an inventor. Uh, engine, engineer, and I lived in um, an Irish Catholic neighborhood, and I happened to be Protestant, and I lived in a Catholic neighborhood, so our little pod that was walking to public school got yelled at for being dirty Protestants. And my dad died when I was young, when I was 11 during the war, and I, you know, I probably have had as much disruption in my life as you could imagine, uh, recognizing it was a depression I was born in. Part of the reason my dad died was because the depression affected him so severely. Mm. My mom was an amazing woman uh, who held down two jobs. I, I think my those years made me recognize how crucial interdependence is. Because our whole neighborhood helped us. The men in the neighborhood dug out the driveways when it snowed, put up, mm. uh, put up the um, storm windows. Young women across the street were our babysitters because my mom worked two jobs, and so she didn't come home at supper time. I was a community organizer, founded a couple of organizations and organized uh, peace organizations, and worked locally, nationally, and eventually internationally. After that, I was a television producer at King Broadcasting. Again, I was hired because I had been a community organizer, not because I knew anything about television. <laughs> and the poor, the poor shooter uh, videographers who worked with me were the people who taught me how to write television, much to their... I'm sure dismay at some of the programs we did, but I really was, got to be good at it. And I wasn't afraid, and I'm not afraid, to make mistakes in public. I just know that, well, whatever happens, it's, it's okay. <laughs> uh, people will recover, I'll recover, et cetera. And then the, the last, uh, when I quit at King, I uh, worked uh, as a consultant uh, and uh, to helping organizations open space, all kinds of organizations. And, and I spent the last, from 1990 till three years ago, working every year in India with a partner. Okay, so that's one side. But the big side of my life and growing is my family. Mm -hmm. I have a large family of, uh, uh, my son married a Mexican-American woman, this large, wonderful Latinx family down there in Southern California. And my children, <laughs> a couple of them are, one is lesbian, the other is gay. We've got one married, one with kids and unmarried. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lesson in listening and loving and learning, tons of learning and joy. Uh, you know, those are some of the aspects of me and uh, uh, that I 
would say are part of my life evolution. You know, I feel as if this Seattle area in my life here has always attracted people like you three people, attracted people who are uh, who really care about making a collective life that everyone belongs in. I wouldn't want to live anyplace else. Mm. If we just go by the the life you've lived, I, I, there's so much that you left out. I'm sure that you know that you can write books and novels about the, the different experiences you've had internationally, nationally, locally. So thank you for sharing your stories. I'm glad that we all got a chance to tell our stories. KT, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about any project. It could be the world of work. It could be a side hustle, your passion project, anything. And then we can, you can talk about what you're working on and we can talk about how we can support you potentially. Awesome. I'd love to. The work that I'm doing now did start as a side hustle. So I've been working in the startup space for quite some time and I co-founded a company that launched just a couple, literally like two weeks before COVID really hit. Um, we launched on February 11th, which is a launching a company, a pre-revenue company aimed at having an impact on for women during a pandemic is a really interesting time, but it also like really reinforces the the need and the value of what we're building. Um, so the company is called Own Trail. And it's my first time founding a company. I've been in, in executive and leadership roles for, for many years, but it's my first time as, you know, one of the co-captains. It's it's me and uh, the very talented University of Washington graduate, Zillow executive, former Zillow executive, Rebecca Bastian. But we formed Own Trail, which is really a platform for self-guided mentorship for women that redefines this idea of what mentorship could look like. The, we're really trying to solve a, a lot of problems that get shorthanded as I want a mentor or I want to be a mentor. And for women, a lot of us spend much of our lives worrying about, am I making the right choice? Is this the right way to do it? Should I be doing this differently? Also, our personal and our professional lives are intertwined. It's, you know, I know with this group, I feel like there'll be consensus. We are our whole selves, whether we're at work or at home, right? But so often, like, we're we're forced to compartmentalize ourselves. But at the same time, social platforms, LinkedIn, all of those, they still force you to compartmentalize your personal and professional stories. And then there's this idea that, like, even for women who are receiving or giving mentorship, it's just not reaching enough women as as the demand is there. Um, we did a survey and 75% of women aren't getting or receiving the mentorship that they want. And it's just because this current one-to-one -one model of mentorship is very, very valuable when it works, but it's just not scalable for everyone mm. based on time, based on access, based on so many things. So what we've created is um, a platform where you visualize your life journey, the, the trail that you've blazed through your life as a series of interconnected milestones mm -hmm. that span your personal and professional. And you define what those are. It could be meeting your partner. It could be changing your career. It could be something like having a miscarriage, things that aren't talked about. So what we've really created is a, is a place for women to be brave and safe. Uh, a safe and a brave space to share their full stories to inspire other women. So this idea that it's based on your life path, you can look at women who are places where you aspire to go. So perhaps community organizing, someone can look at Anne's journey to that milestone in her life 
and see one possible path to get there. And they can look at other women who have gotten to that milestone and see the different ways that they have gotten there. It also allows us to feel solidarity around some of these shared experiences where we might feel like we're alone. Um, A lot of them are negative, but also the positives, right? Like, yes, overcoming maybe uh, harassment or mistreatment at work. Yep, definitely needs to be talked about more. But even just seeing that there are other women that have experienced that and seeing how they navigated afterwards is valuable. Um, But also the positive things like becoming a parent and seeing all these different pathways to the things that matter in our lives. So that's where I'm spending my time and my work. And it's really, really exciting to be building a company to serve a real need versus sell a good or a product, right? Like we're not trying to sell widgets. We're trying to help women feel seen and really bridge that gap from inspiration to action. So how can you take all of these things that are inspiring, but put them into practice in your life to both give and receive mentorship? Because we all have a lot to teach each other regardless of where we are in our journey. And we also have all have a lot to learn. I think that there's this, this perception that you either view yourself as someone who needs mentorship or can give mentorship. And the reality is those two circles overlap completely. Yeah. And it just changes based on the day sometimes on where you're feeling strong and where you need support. But even when you're feeling like you need support, you still have something to give and vice versa. So that's what I'm spending my time doing. My my role is really helping bring own trail to more women and to help them tell their stories that way and support each other. So I'm really a bridge for them to take their story, their future and their past into their own hands and lift up a ton of other women as they go. Well, how do people access what you're offering? Because Yeah, it's a website. It's totally free. It's just owntrail.com. O-W-N-T-R-A-I-L.com. And yeah, you can go in and create a profile and share it. And soon we'll, and right now there's a, there's a way you can show appreciation. So this idea that social media, you like things. I like a good piece of cake, but it doesn't move me. A really good piece of cake. Maybe, maybe a really decadent. (laughs) Let, Let me, let me eat my words for a minute. But you know, like, I don't like that another woman went through a challenge or some health issue, but I can appreciate her sharing that. I can appreciate somebody sharing an experience because I experienced it myself or I want to accomplish that. Um, So right now you can share your trail, you can browse the trails of other women and you can show appreciation. But in the future, we'll be releasing some more fun tools. So you'll be able to filter them based on experiences, based on identities, So for me, if I wanted to see what a marketing executive who was a first-generation college student, who is a parent, what are the different paths that people have taken to one of the milestones that I'm at? That's kind of the future, this idea that you can't be what you can't see. And sometimes that means you don't even know what's possible. That's so cool. Yeah, it's been really it's been really encouraging, especially launching a company during a pandemic and still hearing a lot of enthusiasm and getting some really incredible and heartwarming uh, messages from women who have tried it. And it really it really reinforces the value of the work that we're doing. And I'm so fortunate to be in a place where my job is really part of a mission and not a paycheck. It's really, really rewarding. It's that's what I always want. I never knew I always wanted to be doing as a kid when you get asked what you want to be when you grow up. It's it's that's so often thought of in terms of a job function and not a but how are you how are you spending your life and your life's work? One thing that I wanna just 
say is I want to amplify that. And so be it on different media channels, I know um, you'll have a great presence on LinkedIn. And so every time I see something to like it, to, to share it, and that's something I want to commit to, to doing to support that work. Thank you, Frank. It's really, it's really great having, you know, men will be like, oh, that sounds cool. Is it for us? And it's like, well, not now. Who knows in the future? Like, you know, it makes sense to focus. Women is a big enough bucket mm-hmm. of, of a community to reach. And yeah, to help, to help us really, um, if you're a woman or identify as femme or non-binary, share your trail, invite women in your life that you have been inspired by because a trailblazer, it isn't, yes, Serena Williams is a trailblazer, of course, but also like Karen's a trailblazer and Anne's a trailblazer and Absolutely. my next door neighbor, Becca is a trailblazer. Like we all are in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and really democratizing that idea so that people can recognize the power of their journeys and that they've got a lot to give and receive is really, it's one of those things that the reward is exponential for all of us. Well, I, the other thing I appreciate greatly is your use of the word appreciate. Because I, one of the things I teach, and uh, I do teach, I realize, in India, anyway, <laughs> I teach appreciative inquiry. And, and, and I, have, I have helped these companies that my partner in India have, has formed, have formed over the, oh God, 30 years or something that I've been doing this. I've been doing uh-huh. it since 1990. Is we have an appreciative culture there. And it specifically is an appreciative culture in a consulting company that's working with uh, high-performing corporations in India. It's not a problem-oriented company. It's mm. an appreciative, a, a mm. problem-oriented culture. It's an appreciative culture. And it was fascinating to specifically create that because in some ways the context of their consulting had to shift because it was so overlain with problem, problem. How do we mm-hmm. solve the problem? Yeah, I would love to see, uh, you know, I don't want to make you do this, Ann and Karen, but if you if you were to log in, I'm sure there's so many uh, women out there that would love to see your own trails uh, on this platform. Karen, I'm very curious. You're in a, a wonderful set situation of having retired from something and the world is opening up. What is it opening up to? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Frank, is she doing your job? No. <laughs> the great thing about bringing facilitators into the, the podcast is that you can actually go grab a coffee and come back. Just kidding. I'm not, I am not doing that, Re- listeners. Karen, go for it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking, Anne. One of the really powerful great things about being retired is that I have the freedom and and have finally sort of given myself permission to uh, just indulge in some of the things that I'm really passionate about. And one of those projects that has been limping along for, for many years now is the Seattle Sensory Garden. As a, as a member of the uh, Lions, Lions Club organization, I I was in a position in 2008 to suggest to the the sort of regional lions that that we undertake an effort in the at the rose garden 
because the lions actually started the rose garden here the rose garden the which is right next to the woodland park zoo which is a very formal garden but the lions had back in the 20s had been part of getting it started and were invited back for when the some infrastructure stuff was was refurbished and they came uh, representatives came and suggested after that that lions ought to do something like erect a bust of Helen Keller in the in the rose garden, which I thought was not the most appropriate idea because lions are all about service and all about sight and hearing and um, so. So I suggested to this group of lions that maybe we should think about doing something that would make the garden more accessible to people who are blind, people who can't hear. And from there, it sort of took off. And the the zoo said, you can't touch the rose garden because it's this very formal garden, but you can have this area around the rose garden and do something there. So we've been working on trying to create a sensory garden that kind of wraps around the current rose garden. And when the when the you know stay home order came down and the neighborhood matching fund dried up, uh, we had applied for a neighborhood matching fund grant for signage in the garden and, and I was notified that you know that it was done. So we were we're just sort of like very quiet, uh, the the small group of sensory garden folks who have been working on this forever. And then, you know, and then I started realizing that in this time when people need to be outside, they need to get outside and they need to actually touch the leaves and, you know, get your hands in the dirt and smell the the leaves and the flowers and the and just and just be in that setting that that a sensory garden could be so and I don't want to say therapeutic, but it could be just it could be a, a really important place, a really important thing mm-hmm. for people to be in touch with. But we can't because <laughs> the Rose Garden's closed and the zoo's closed. And so we had a we had a meeting uh, last week and decided that we're going to at least right now, we're we're going to try to point people, the, the the greater community, to places and to things that they can do that are maybe in their own backyard. Just mm. how do you get in touch with your senses outside and help heal, you know, what this isolation is is doing to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also love how you started that with you've given yourself the permission. You're, you've given yourself permission to do this thing that you love. Yeah. I think that was such a powerful, like intentional, cho- I don't know if it was intentional choice of wording, but that really resonated with me. And then here, like I could hear how much you care about this project. Gosh, I think, I think you'll love the sensory garden, Katie, when it, when it's I was so excited. Again. <laughs> I'll put my, I'll put my rambunctious. Yeah, I know we must be. I'll put my rambunctious t- toddler in there to run around for a while. The whole family fun yeah. for all ages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. But no, but thank you for those kinds of projects because I think that they're so often seen but not fully seen, right? Like we just see the outcome. Right. Right. One, I also love that, Karen, you said I'm a member of the, the Lions. Uh, aren't you the president or aren't you the president of the Lions Club? Well, I was and I'm going to be again. 
<laughs> so I love that. I love the the downplay of your role. I'm just a member. I'm just here, but a multi-time president potentially now. So that's great. With that being said, and like you have so many projects, and you you are one of the people that. Uh, you you send Michael and myself here at Civic Commons a lot of great emails about like different things that are happening, things to be aware of. You you have your kind of like feelers out to so many things. So tell us a little bit about a project maybe that's uh, near near and dear to your heart right now. Anything I'm doing centers around supporting the beloved community, and it's the Martin Luther King Jr.'s concept of beloved community, which was a tremendous tremendous influence on me as a young woman and as a, or a community organizer, there is one, uh, there are, I suppose, two places I would think that I would like people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And one is the near and dear down at the corner, uh, the evolution of the third place commons, who, which is now attempting to move into our farmer's market and how do you create a commons space in the farmer's market so that people want to come? I mean, we have a, a terrific farmer's market, and it's always been one that the farmers like a lot and that is a very active, lively one in a crowded space. So that's one pivot that they're trying to make. And then the other one is, okay, we have a physical commons that has been doing nothing, you know, because it's basically closed down. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of May, they're they're needing to step into how do we really commit to being a commons, but also being a place where people do not feel uh, what do you call it, regimented? Because a commons is not a place that feels regimented. It is it is a place where there is a kind of flow of kind, compassionate, curiously interesting, uh, diverse activity. (laughs) And the Mm -hmm. flow is a very strong part of a feeling that you can belong, even if you're a stranger. Uh, And and where can people find out more information about the commons and this digital village? Like if you were to point people towards a website, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, thirdplacecommons.org is the commons. But I guess the other thing I would say, too, is pay attention in your own neighborhoods to what it is that people are doing to connect with each other and help each other, and not just your own neighborhoods. I'd like to just to say to people who listen to this, think about what you want the day after to be like and figure out systems that support the things you notice are really making a difference. I really love that idea of, I, I meant to write it down, but I was so like en- enraptured by like how, what you were saying, this idea of like, what do I want tomorrow to look like? Mm-hmm. That question, I think that that as an inquiry is really powerful because it's, it's, you know, it's something we can all do and it can then drive what actions we're taking, big or small. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're making tomorrow happen by the things we do today. Absolutely. That is a critical thing to pay attention to. It's not somewhere out there. It's right in front under your feet. And it's what you take responsibility for. I love the fact that the three of us are people, four of us are people who are passionate about what we're doing and uh, and are taking responsibility for that. That's the heart of opening space. 
And what I want to maybe end with is the idea of like, we're all doing work that we're hoping to attract others to the cause, right? And so be it own trail and the idea of creating more digital ways for women to look at other women's lives and how they, the, the mileposts and like these great markers to see similarities and be inspired and feel, you know, a lot of it is like feeling the same wind in our sails, realize that we have similarities, that we are, we can be inspired and, and mentor each other. The idea of creating a open space, a garden that is, you know, beautiful in its own right, but also how do you welcome it and make attractive to people that uh, have hearing or uh, uh, seeing uh, disabilities. And the idea of like the beloved community, which, you know, with MLK, like the idea everywhere that you go in is the idea, like how do you attract more people to this space? And I think the whole concept is podcast and what we need now more than anything, right? Imagining the the tomorrow that we want. The This pandemic reminds us how closely intertwined we are. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, on this podcast uh, you're all so wonderful and uh thank you thank yeah you. absolutely thanks everyone bye